The Funambulist Podcast by Léopold Lambert. Today, the Hong Kong Umbrella Movement, Episode 2, with Casey Mann and Dennis Mann. Hello everyone, today I have two guests uh, for this mini-series about the Umbrella Movement in Hong Kong. Uh, the first is uh, Cassie Mann, who is a student at uh, Hong Kong U uh, University of Hong Kong in uh, Governmental and Law uh, Studies. Uh, hello, Cathy. <laughs> uh, and the second is uh, Dennis Mann, who is a photographer also here in Hong Kong and who, who grew up in Hong Kong as well. So obviously know very well <laughs> the, the city. Hello, Dennis. Hello. Um, so as I'm asking all my guests uh, in this series, could you just, in a few words, tell us where we are right now, in which neighborhood? Mm, we are in Kennedy Town, which is in the West District in Hong Kong. Mm. And it's close to... Um, it's a very... It's a town with both new buildings and also preserve some old town features like the old shops and some relatively um, some housings in a relatively old style yeah. <laughs> and we're not far from NKU right? yes <laughs> um, great well um Uh, Kathy, I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage here that you actually study uh, uh, law and politics, <laughs> so to speak, to maybe uh, use you to do the introduction a little bit to the to the Umbrella Movement. Um, could you maybe tell us uh, just what uh, this occupation of public space for those three months in, at the end of 2014 uh, were about? So the Umbrella Movement in or you call it, someone would call it Umbrella Revolution, um, happened in 2014. And actually, there are many purposes of, the, of this movement. I think the first one, which is the most important one, is the election of the chief executive of Hong Kong, which is the political leader in Hong Kong. Because um, back, to, like, back to the handover period, the Chinese government promised there would be eventually a universal suffrage in Hong Kong. However, in 2014, the China government issued a paper stating some kind of arrangement of the election. And actually, there is a part involved, like there would be a, an election committee uh, composed of around a thousand people to screen out some candidate. They would have a fr like a first-round screening of candidates. That's why many people would not regard it as a genuine universal suffrage, and there are and also there are there were many conflicts, social conflicts and political conflicts um, about the dissatisfaction towards the current leader, Mr. Leung Chang Ying. That's why I think all this kind of dissatisfaction and also the paper issued by the Chinese government concerning the election would be the most the key objectives of the whole movement. And it tries to like strive for genuine universal suffrage. And some people may even demand that Hong Kong may need to have for, like a 
like a high degree of independence, but not. But I I would say the localism movement is not really started there, but people start to gain awareness on the integrity of Hong Kong's governance because we are supposed under one country two system, but. In recent years, the Chinese government intervention is getting more serious. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, you said were, you said that was the main reason, and but that there was there were others. Could you could you tell us about that? Um, I think uh, there are other reasons. Like some people would just show dissatisfaction towards certain leaders, like Mr. Leung or. Some people are trying to show dissatisfaction towards the Chinese government, but they still want to be under the one chi- one country two system. But some some people may regard them as more extreme parties. They are even striving for Hong Kong independence. That's why there are actually people from different positions on the political spectrum having a slightly different objectives. But the main, I think the focus is on the democracy of Hong Kong and how we are going to choose our leader. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, so that's something that, that that's something that seems to have existed in, in Hong Kong for quite a while. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. remember when I was living there to be part of the July 1st uh, mm-hmm. uh, march every year. Mm-hmm. But uh, somehow when you, do a, when you do a movement of protest that is such... Uh, so well organized and always at the same date it's mm-hmm. it's maybe no longer protest right so the the umbrella movement really disrupted fundamentally the 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 daily rhythm of, of hong kong could could you maybe describe um how it was materializing in public space and and what did you see there and who who seemed to be the, the main people involved the main kind of people involved mm-hmm. I think at the early stage, actually, there is a student strike movement. And actually, uh, many university students are holding, like, civil civil lecture, like, in the public space outside the government complex. There is a huge grassland there, and they are calling for stu- student strike, and people, and stu- university students like us, May go, may skip our lessons and just go there for some public lectures, that offered by some university professors or some other scholars, particular uh, studying spe- special political topics. Like I attended some lectures on um, maybe the protest method of in Hong Kong because, like you've just mentioned in the past, most. Most of the political participation or movement are just very well structured protests, or just yeah, just a very well structured protest, but not really in different. It doesn't really involve maybe like violence or any kind of destruction of public space or occupation. But then after two weeks, I think around two weeks of the student strike, mm. and more people these. Um, it tried to gain. It it started to gain the public attention on the issue, and actually, um, people just because th- um, this kind of strike is trying to urge the government to respond to the issue on the universal suffrage, but the government is not act- doing anything to respond to the public dissatisfaction, or not even I think not even trying to comfort the dissatisfaction, but just somehow 
reinforce the mainland China's decision, and this triggers people dissatisfaction, and more people like, apart from the students, more maybe adults like working class try to join the strike, and、uh, I think at the at, in late September, the movement is trying to getting more. The the scale is getting much larger, and there is, and the, one of the leader from from a student organization, he he got he got into a locked locked space in the government complex. A group of students、uh, rushed inside that got that government complex and tried to occupy that center. Like a, I, I forgot the name, but it's it's just a lock locked up place in the government complex and try to occupy the area, and that's the day the whole movement is more intensified and people started to have the concept of occupying more public space in order to somehow gain the bargaining power with the government, because it's obviously Hong Kong didn't experience similar movement before. I think that's the day where the whole movement began, and because in the next day, I think it's the first time there is a f- like physical conflict between the protester and the police. Like the police started to use pepper spray or other kinds of force to try to try to get the protesters away, but the,、um, is they are unsuccessful. That's why、um, because. The organizer is trying to call for more people tr- in order to resist the power of the police. That's why more people go there, and the whole scale is getting more much larger. And at the end, because the the police is trying to confine all the protesters in a closed area, and but it's actually next to some of the busy traffic and busy roads in Hong Kong. It's in the very central district in Hong Kong, and. When the situation is getting uncontrolled and the conflict between police and protesters is getting more intense, then some protesters try to get out of that confined area and rush to the some major traffic roads there, and that's how the occupation begins.、Mm. Maybe I'll I'll take advantage of the fact <laughs> that you you introduce introduce so、uh, clearly the chronology of the movement to、mm. to perhaps already.、Uh, Jump to the to the the dispersion of it,、mm-hmm. uh, and we'll obviously go back to the to the core of it. But c- could you tell us how it ended after after three months of occupation of public space?、Um, I would say the because we are because、um, the objective of occupying this kind of public space is trying to extend the conversation with the government or some kind of negotiation with the government concerning the universal suffrage arrangement. But obviously, the negotiation result doesn't is somehow is stuck at the middle, and there is no consensus between the political、uh, the government and also some of the political leaders of the movement. And after a few weeks, because most of the people, like、um, for the working class, is quite impossible for them to stay there for months. And not to like to give up their job because Hong Kong is 
quite the the life in Hong Kong is quite money driven, I would say. Because so it's quite impossible for working class to stay for a long time. So another major major role here is the university students, but um, because when as times goes by, um, from my own experience, I can see that. Most of the people staying for a really long time, most of them are university students, because they some they somehow have the most spare time or capacity to participate in the movement. But as there is no any positive results from the government, people start to be frustrated or doubt the effectiveness of occupying the streets. And also there are because it. Because I said, as I said, it's in a very central district of Hong Kong. Actually, the traffic was really affected, and those who didn't participate in the movement would have a very was very angry about what the protesters did because they have to like travel for a much longer time, or many shops and many business were affected during that moment, and. When the government is not giving any positive response, and there were also some kind of other public dissatisfaction towards the protesters, and many people would try to give up or think of other ways to sustain the whole movement. And when there were starting less people there, and the police force is more, it's more easy for the police to somehow confine the area into a much smaller. Public space, and at the end, the police can. The police actually gave warning because there were not many people staying there already. That's why the police were trying to planning some kind of clearance action. And at the end,、um, after they gave some kind of war- arrest warning, then I think it's in December, right?、Yeah. The, the movement as end and in December is the police doing the clearance action and arrest around. A hundred protesters keep staying there. Yeah, that's how the movement ends there.、Mm-hmm. Mm. But some people would say that it's just a beginning of、mm. this kind of movement.、Yeah. Well, pre- precisely. We'll we'll go back at the very end of the conversation、mm-hmm. to the to the present and the、mm-hmm. future of the、okay. movement. But perhaps、uh, to go from、uh, to this very factual、uh, approach to the movement to a more uh, uh, Empirical, so, so to speak.、Uh, could you maybe give us a little bit more your your own experience as、uh, members of the of the movement, maybe punctual members? Maybe Dennis, could you could you tell us?、Um, in the beginning of the sh-、um, movement, I、um, I have joined a joined a. When the when the student organization、uh, encourage someone to go inside the the civilized class,、uh, yep, the, yeah, the occupied area, and I I were there actually, and I I just um because there is the strike, um the students said it is end of the strike the thing for. Yeah, but、um, they they ask the people stay there, and there will be something happen later. Then I stay there to watch the 
to watch some s- students try to get inside the blotted area, uh, blotted area, and the po- mm. there are some and the the police start to using the pepper sp- spray to. Um, the experts, yeah, the yeah. experts, the, the protesters, and I, I'm the member to try to block the police and try to let some student run away or um, left the area, you know, and. And I were, and I were there until four a.m. to try to protect the student, and and I started the and I start to be there almost every day or stay maybe one or two night a week to be there and. Because I have some friends there too, and they have a camp, camp. Uh, they have a tent, yeah. So we can, we um because I I because I I was the I'm doing some freelance for a artist, and so I don't have a full time job there uh, at that moment. So I can go almost every day. Yeah, and at the first week, I almost stay there, stay in Amoti um, at night with my friends. Around two weeks later, um, because the there is a lot of artwork around the occupied area. around the occupied area, and. Because my background is studying creative media, there is some um, art background uh, student or art background um, people who want to record record the artwork in the occupied area. So I joined a group, which is um, to interview the. Artists who make the work, and and I'm the photographer who um, take some photos of the those artwork in in my area. Yeah, and so I almost bring the camera ev- every day and to there and try to talk to some people who who may who are making some artwork or do the, some interviews to them. And there will be a data, and there are a database. Uh, the organizer, the the uh, art preservation group. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we'll we'll have it we'll have it linked uh, uh, to the to the page of the podcast so that people can uh, can see it. I mean, this this was one one aspect I feel that traveled the most in terms of. Uh, 
visuals of of the occupation was precisely those those artworks a lot. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. People probably saw your photos <laughs> of of it before. Actually, so <laughs> it's quite it's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Kathy, could you could you maybe tell us about your your own experience of, of being part of the movement? Okay, so I also talk about at the early stage of the movement first. Um, actually, I was in my first year when the movement started, and first year of first year, students. and even the first month of university <laughs> <Yeah. student> life, <laughs> and I was quite, um, I was quite, uh, because I used. I didn't really know much about politics in depth before my university study and I was just um, at first there was a student strike and I was struggling <laughs> whether I should join because um, I'm not really sure what's the purpose of the strike or what's the effectiveness of the strike but I think I somehow agree with their purpose is to show the dissatisfaction towards the the universal suffrage arrangement. That's why I joined it with some of my schoolmates. And I stayed, I almost go there, I think three times a week to attend those kind of public lectures and have some, it's my first time to have some political discussion with my friends because I think it's not that common in Hong Kong society before like having political discussion with some just normal friends or family members. And after, and the day where the whole occupying movement started, that means I, I was not there when there are students um, uh, get into that locked up area. But it, um, I remember I, because I could not sleep for the whole night when I saw the whole movement, that another day I went there to find some of my schoolmates because I'm quite worried about what will happen next. And the, at the moment, when I found them, actually it was very peaceful that there were no police and we thought it's very safe and I thought it's very safe too because I'm not that ready to 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 get the really physical defend against the police but all of a sudden there was a team of police rushing out because I was outside the car park of the legislative council complex and, and my friends were resting there and some people are even sleeping or eating there and suddenly there was a team of police rush out from inside the car park to that area and we and I was really shocked because I'm not ready I didn't have any gear or any kind all actually all of us are not that ready then we just grabbed those umbrella and everything we got to somehow resist the police from getting into our our area and it's the first time I stand that close <laughs> to a, in front of the police and they even use pepper spray and I remember it was a really it was the most mem memorable moment in my yeah. life I would say and it, it's funny because we, we had not talked yet about the name itself of the umbrella movement but uh. I'm, gl I'm glad you brought it up because <laughs> it's so obvious that I completely forgot to even ask the question actually so <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so after, and actually, because we were not, we didn't, did not have any gear, and of course, we can't, cannot really resist the police force. That's why, like a group of protest, I was ex expressed as one of the protesters, and some people, I because I could not see anything when I got 
attacked by the pepper spray. And I remember there was just some strangers pull me to some other space and help me to clean up all the spray. And that's that was very scary, but it somehow triggered, it somehow motivated me or reaffirmed my determination to participate in the movement because it's really ridiculous to see how because I suppose Hong Kong is a very civilized society but I remember that day the police didn't use any warning before and he can I, I, I really don't understand how they could use such level of violence towards their own citizens and we are just staying there peacefully and not doing any act at that moment and I'm and that's somehow more, yeah, reaffirmed my determination to participate in the whole movement but actually because of some maybe like parents constraints or <laughs> <laughs> I can't really I'm not that ready for to be arrested because so I'm not always at the front line position but I tried to I think go there for two to three times a week and sometimes I would stay overnight there just to see because there were not much thing to do when the police is not going to have any action so we just stay there or in case the police had any sudden attack then we can go there to pass the materials or any first aid resources to the to those who are injured and I usually stayed in a more safe area to do some backup or resources distribution position and not really at the front line directly facing the police and but I think around after September like in in October from September to this, to November I just stay there occasionally to but I I I would say I would, I was quite frustrated at the end of the movement too because I'm not so sure what we can do at that moment because the government seems not to do anything or respond to our requests and but it's quite memorable that I was always having some discussion about what we can do in the future on in the occupied area and no different make different new friends that are really concerned about the movement and uh, when we were preparing this conversation, you were telling me that in HKU there was many things happening as well, oh. and there was a, a very strong student uh, uh, m- motivation, <laughs> so to speak, that was going on. Uh, so, uh, I mean, you mm. know, HKU is not that far from Admiralty, all, all in all, mm. but it's, it's, so there was some universities where yeah. were definitely a, a place of uh, also discussion and, mm. and maybe. Uh, yeah, motivation to, to, to go back to Admiralty. Could you, could you tell us about that? Okay, sure. Um, because the whole movement, as I said, it started with a student strike, and the student strike is orga- was organized by um, the stu- some, some student organizations and also the student unions of different universities in Hong Kong. And, um, and of, uh, Hong Kong U is one of the, like, one of the, it, it, it commits a lot into this movement and I remember when I was going back to school there were, were also many booths or many people distributing the objectives of the whole movement or the student strike at the school and 
Um, but I I can see a very different views.、Uh, like the atmosphere in the occupied area is very intense, or like more people there are really worried about what's going on next. But I remember when some days when I go went back to school, it's just like a completely different atmosphere, and like people still having their lessons normally, and because some students don't really. I would say they they are quite empathetic on the whole issue. They can't really, they don't really because some students think that it's none of our business. It's just political decisions, and we cannot affect it, or we cannot make any impact on the whole movement. And that's why it's quite quite shocked to see such diverse views at school. But but um. But my my participation is somehow motivated by some of my other senior schoolmates or some of other friends from the, which is which are also freshmen in our fre-、uh, freshman year, and I can see the student union is doing lots of promotion work on this event, and after the student strike when the whole occupying movement start because Hong Kong is very close to that area, so.、Um, There were actually many, many halls like the, those dorms in our school, and we'll organize some, we'll organize some teams to go there to stay in order to coordinate the resources and see what resources we can bring. And I remember Hong Kong U is also one of the place gathering the resources donated from、um, ordinary citizens. That's why I think such kind of proximity. Um, allow us to do more logistic work for the whole movement, mm. Mm. and yeah.、Uh, and so maybe、uh, for the last chapter of of this conversation,、uh, the you you were saying earlier that、uh, one way to look at things is that well, it's a movement that lasted for a certain amount of time and then it's over and. Uh, or we can look at it as the beginning of something else.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, last month there was some elections in Hong Kong that、uh, definitely suggested that something else. I mean that that reminiscence of the movements were still very much present in people's、uh, mind. Could you could you maybe explain a little bit、uh, what those elections、uh, showed? And then、uh, I'll ask you both to conclude by、uh, asking your. For your just your opinion about the the future of the of this political awareness, you mean the election? Yes,、yeah, the elections、uh, from last month. Yeah,、uh, the legislative, because in the past the legislative council in Hong Kong is mainly divided into two camps, like the pro establish pro establishment that is supporting the government or somehow supporting the Chinese government, and another camp is the. Pan Democrats, which is more active in the democracy development in Hong Kong, but in the last legislative council or even the district council last election last year, there were more candidates coming from different positions in the political spectrum. Some of them were from the localism spectrum. That means they,、um, some of them are striving for Hong Kong independence or. A more like having a more autonomy in the Hong Kong governance, and there were also some other candidates that aim at 
doing more community work in order to spread their political ideals. And these two of these two kinds of people can rarely be found in the past elections because um, because in the past most of the people would only think of pan democrats and poor establishment, and the spectrum is relatively that narrow. But now, after the movement, and because more people is getting are getting hopeless on the one country two system, and somehow the spectrum is more expanded now to the localism camp. Or that's why um, there were some new newly elected councillors. They are from political parties that um, striving for. Um, more autonomy in our governance, or even to more extreme Hong Kong independence. Um, I think that's. Um, I think why they could win in the election is somehow um, one of the outcome of the umbrella movement because more people are getting more aware of the political development in Hong Kong, and they would try to think of more ways for Hong Kong future. That's why. The spectrum now is much widened mm-hmm. in the Legislative Council. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, the Legislative Council uh, only fifty percent of it is getting uh, uh, elected through this process, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fifty percent of the councillors were elected by, like, really, a election process, and another fifty percent is there is a functional constituency that represents different. Occupation and different industries in Hong Kong, mm. and that's a different kind of election. So it's yeah. a, it's an institution that's doomed to be uh, to be uh, somehow uh, maintaining the statu quo. But th- those elections were showing uh-huh. a tendency uh, that definitely had to do with the umbrella movement. Mm. Uh, did, did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so maybe d- yeah. Just as a as a final. Uh, as a final input uh, and, and to really rejoin the questions asked to the other guests of this series, uh, could you could you give us your personal opinion on the future of the movement, maybe Denise? Or the future of the ideas of the movement is more precise. In the future, we will see that the Chinese government will um, control more more control Hong Kong government for the any this design or I I don't know I don't know we can what we can do but we we can only insist our thought or our um, target to protect our Hong Kong. But so far, the people I've been talking to had a had. Uh, a view that was either quite optimistic about the Im- political impetus that was created or quite pessimistic in the idea that things are seems to be aiming for the worse and <laughs> they probably will will go this way it seems it seems to be more your your vision as well <laughs> uh, i mean it didn't need, it doesn't need to be either one or the other it's reality is usually more complex than that but for some reason the 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 other, the other guest had some pretty uh, clear tendency towards either optimism or pessimism. So. Um, concerning the future, the political development in the future, I'm. I would not say I'm very pessimistic, but I'm. I think it's a very, very, very long journey for us to 
get back our autonomy. I personally think that um, I was, I was, I was. In the past, I really think that one country, two system, is something that can work well. But now I'm quite, I'm quite. I I started to disagree with because I think it's not a genuine one country, two system. I can see that the Chinese government is trying to have more intervention in Hong Kong's own governance. And I think it's time for Hong Kong people to get back their autonomy, but it's not—it's not something that can be done in the recent decades, I would say, because there are there are still many people that are empathetic about Hong Kong's development because they still think that Hong Kong is having a really good economic development and political. Political affairs is not something they would prioritize and consider about. That's why I think it takes a long time to let most of the Hong Kong people to be aware of the importance of why Hong Kong, because Hong Kong has a very unique culture and unique system, and just a very different culture from China. Like we have our own core values. We we try to have our own freedom, democracy, or human rights, and that's something cannot be done. Under the Chinese government intervention, that's why I think I think we should first focus on how to get people around us to get involved in the political discussion, and not just a group of active members in the society keep doing on their own work, but not really spreading the effect to the rest of the society. When I think when more people are aware of the whole issue and the force against. The government or against the Chinese government would be bigger. Then there would be larger bargaining power for us to determine our own future. But I think the what I'm most worried about is the fifty years because the Basic Law, which is like our constitution, said stated that、um, our own system, our own unique system from China would sustain would not will remain unchanged. For fifty years, which means two thousand and forty-seven, and actually, it can it can be a really short period for the whole society to gain a consensus on what we should do after fifty years, or we don't even know whether we have a choice to decide what how Hong Kong is going to be after fifty years. That's why I think now it's very important to. I think it's quite impossible to. Gain back all the autonomy we had, but at least we have to stop the intervention first, and try to do more community education or promotion at the early stage in order to really spread the ideals, or using our power to maybe some of us can get into like the higher hierarchy of the society. Then they can they may have more power in doing some political decisions, and I think. That's a very long journey, but I, I would not give up. Yeah, I would not give up. <laughs> <laughs> De- Denise, do you want to say a few last words、uh, to to also give a a vision towards the future? After the umbrella movement,、um, the sense of our Hong Kongers to、uh, of the po- politic 
political is going is going and I I am I'm waiting for another movement in Hong Kong which is which is um, which can change have some change of our government okay well thank you very much to both of you for taking the time to talk to me and to to really uh, introduce the movement in a very in a very clear uh, manner and and this way give more uh, depth to the other uh, interviews as well that uh, that are that I've been doing during this week in Hong Kong, um, and I think it will it will make a, a great introduction to them. So th thank you again very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>